Dana's and Becky's. I'm still on the road. Come see me in Jacksonville, Oregon, July 21st. Eugene, Oregon, July 22nd. Bellingham, Washington, September 8th. Olympia, Washington, September 9th. Torrington, Connecticut, September 15th. Rochester, New York, September 16th. Wilmington, Delaware, September 17th. Colorado Springs, September 25th. Breckenridge, Colorado, September 28th. Boulder, Colorado, September 29th. And then I'm doing a huge European tour in October. Look at my website for all of the information, ticket information, everything's there. Make sure you get tickets for my next stand-up special taping in Brooklyn, New York, November 4th at King's Theater. There's an early and late show. Go to tignotaro.com for all show links and ticket information. Also, if anybody out there is looking to get a TIG fix with their eyeballs, I will be on the new season of The Morning Show, September 13th. So tune in. Now, on with the show. Interesting about clowning, like sort of our clowns are sort of versions of our self, whatever. I won't talk about this right now. We'll talk about this later. When would we talk about this? I probably in like four months when I see you at somewhere. That you'll remember that we need to pick up at the clown <laughs> conversations. <laughs> This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro. And while I do hope to help, my help may be hopeless. Our guest today is an actress, comedian, screenwriter, and producer who co-starred as Brianna in the Netflix series Grace and Frankie. Her other television credits include Big Mouth, Curb Your Enthusiasm, New Girl, and she's appeared in films like Long Shot, The Disaster Artist, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and Anchorman 2. She is also the co-founder of The Jane Club, a digital community for women and caretakers in the United States and around the world. June, Diane, Raphael, welcome to Don't Ask Tig. Hi, Tig. June, do you remember when we first met? I'm curious what your memory is. Um... Tig and I co-starred in a pilot together, and it was Sarah Silverman's pilot. It was a wonderful yeah. script and pilot. I met you before that. I don't remember. See, I don't remember that. Yeah. I well. remember being upset that I was meeting you in an audition scenario because that's my one of my worst spaces. Mm-hmm. You know, I've and I seen have, you in some bad spaces. You sure have. Yeah. <laughs> that weren't auditions. <laughs> Maybe that's my baseline, you know, is yeah. just... Yeah, like an emptied out purse. Yeah. Should we go to commercial? Cut to commercial, but quick. No, I met you when Paul's show, Human Giant, everybody went to Vegas to celebrate, I think, the premiere of it. And Nick Kroll had invited me to come along, and he and I drove out in his Prius, listening to Amy Winehouse the whole way to Vegas. And then I was in 
full-blown Vegas party situations that I had never been in, haven't been in since, <laughs> where it's like velvet roped off. I do remember this. Bottle yeah. service type stuff. And I was there for that weekend, just so you know. God, and I, I don't have, think you and I connected at all. I have no recollection of you being there. None of us belonged there. I feel like out of all of us, I probably fit in the most. And even I was struggling. Why? We were we were at the club and I haven't been there <laughs> since. <laughs> I truly didn't know that that was what my weekend was about to be like. Okay, now I'm remembering. We were at the club where there were, there were like women... <laughs> That were dancing in sort of maybe like pools Mm -hmm. or giant human vases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's where I first met you. And I have no memory of that, Tig. I'm so sorry to report. because you were ordering bottle service all weekend. I'm wondering if I took us there. It's also so not like Paul or Rob (laughs) Hubel to do something (laughs) like that. Like it was. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's that was huh. my first. I knew Paul and Rob, but I didn't know you. Honestly, I didn't even know you were an actress. I was just like, oh, there's Paul Shear's wife. Yeah. And then we partied the whole weekend. Then we did that pilot. And that's when I was like, oh, this is Paul Shear's wife, who is yeah. an actress and is hilarious. Thank you so much. I don't know if you remember having good laughs with me on oh, that we had pilot. Some laughs, we had some laughs. We had some laughs. Yeah. Actually, it's funny that we met in Vegas because I do remember Mm -hmm. struggling at that time because Paul was very much so established as a person in the world and feeling like, yeah, I'm just Paul's. I'm known as like Paul's girlfriend. Mm -hmm. We weren't married at the time. Oh, okay. Um, Yeah. But that's funny. I remember the feeling of people receiving me and not looking at me Mm. when I was around him. I still sometimes see that with men, like they don't, if they don't know I'm an actress or whatever, and they're talking to Paul, like they won't introduce themselves. Like there's just uh-huh. basic rules of society that they don't subscribe to. And I'm always shocked by that. Well, but even though I don't remember you, I can't imagine you behaving that way. I would say it is rude when people don't acknowledge you, but it's also kind of rude that you don't remember me. It is very rude. Well, June, moving on. The pilot didn't get picked up, but had a great time filming that. So much fun. I mentioned earlier the Jane Club. Would you like to tell people oh more God, about? I would love to. Well, the Jane Club has had so many iterations, and Tig has been a part of it from the beginning because you were one of our original investors who believed in it and invested in it, you and Steph, like before it was anything. So I'm just so blown away by that. And I should add, we started off as a physical co-working space that offered full-time child care. So that's where we started in 2017. And since then, we've lived so many different lives. Mm-hmm. We had two physical locations. Both were just wonderful and special. And once the pandemic hit, we had to close our physical location, but it gave us a real opportunity to launch this digital space. And it's just been a wonderful experience. And now... Physical locations are still sort of on the back burner right now, but we've kind of morphed and pivoted into a digital co-working space. And the Jane Club now hosts these work sprints and full days of working together in community where we have a facilitator who leads them. So if you want to get done, you come, you join in, and 
people are working together. We build in meditation, we build in activism, Ooh. we build in just getting to know each other. And yeah. Amazing. And then speaking of activism, you co-wrote a book called Represent the Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. That's right. Is becoming a politician something you see in your future? June, tell us here first. Yeah, it is, actually. I would love to run for office at some point. I can really kind of geek out on city politics and local politics and all that stuff. So I am interested in it. And I think the core of it, it can be a really beautiful and wonderful way to be a part of your community. And especially for women, there's just a huge representation gap. And it's interesting when we wrote the book, because I feel like now there is an idea that, oh, we have AOC and we have the squad. And and so we're done. And then the truth, of course, is that women are still grossly underrepresented up and down the ballot. And the federal government takes up so much of the airtime. But, you know, local politics and state seats and all that still there's an enormous amount of inequity when it comes to women. And yeah, the book really outlines how one might do it and tries to demystify the process and make it accessible. And we kind of get into the granular details of what you actually need to do. I co-authored it with Kate Black, who is the chief of staff at Emily's List, which is the largest fundraising organization for women in politics. And it's interesting, actually, because I started the Jane Club because I was writing that book and I had two small children and was feeling like there's like no way to do this unless you have family around you, which I didn't in LA really that could come and take care of our kids. I just was feeling like this is so impossible. And that was really the idea of, of the Jane Club was how do you, how do we actually create infrastructure for moms and caretakers and dads and people who have children to to do all the things. So that's a little bit about me, Tig. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here listening to you thinking, how are you going to run for office with all the pickleball you're up to? I mean, that's another thing. I don't know if our listeners watched us compete on Paramount Plus in the Celebrity Pickleball Tournament, but I think we all know who didn't make it to the finals. And I got to tell you, I've seen you play since then. And I definitely yeah. thought, I'm going to be totally honest with you, Dig. I definitely mm. thought after seeing you play with Will Ferrell, and of course, mm. I competed against you with Paul Shear, my partner. One of the best. One of the best in the biz. I definitely thought Will is carrying this team. Mm -hmm. I whispered to Paul a number of times, hit it to Tig, hit it to Tig. <laughs> and <laughs> keep it away from Will Ferrell and just keep on hitting it to Tig. And we did. But even then, Will somehow kept you guys in the game. Now, I'm telling you this with full honesty and love and transparency. <laughs> then I saw you play months later at my tournament that I hosted. Yeah. yeah. And your game came up quite a bit. And I want to commend you. Mm -hmm. And I want to let you know I saw that and I mm -hmm. see that. Will and I were truly saying, hit it to either of them. Doesn't make a difference. <laughs> How dare <laughs> you have you have a pickleball court at your house? Correct. Right? Yeah. So you should be incredible, like mind blowing. You're fine. I mean, I know I actually am quite good. I try to stay medium in, in my home court yeah. because I want others to join me. So I'm rarely mm. unleashing my full potential. Well, I want to tell you a real conversation between me and my wife, Stephanie. She said, maybe we should try and play Paul and 
June and get that going. And do you know what I said to her? No. I said, as fun as that sounds, I don't ever want to see June regularly enough to have a normal friendship (laughs) with her. I actually appreciate that, Tig, because uh-huh. I think our cadence, I'm so happy when I see you, but I don't think we want to tip over. No. I think no. we're both quite aware of that. I want it exactly how it is. <laughs> I want it to be only nonsense. And yes. Stephanie laughed so hard. And I said, but truly, imagine if I got to a point with June that when I saw her, I was just like, hey, thanks so much for having us. So that I wouldn't said, work. I don't want that with June. I understand. You are one of those people I just never want to be that close with that the nonsense disappears. I appreciate that. And I actually, yeah. I think that's a, a loving gesture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm taking it as such. Well, take it however you want. It's- <laughs> take it however you want. I was going to say, well, we do host, it's a pretty regular event and it's a family event. People bring their kids. No, I think that's probably what Stephanie was talking yeah. about. And I was just like, I sure. I love June. I just yeah. don't want a normal friendship with Understood. her. Understood. <laughs> I want it to be weird every time. I just want you to know that yeah. there are people, you know, that I count as like, oh, if I needed to call them and say like, I need, you know, really big ask, I would. Yeah. I have. But I would be okay asking you. I know. <laughs> I would be, I'm not saying it would be the easiest thing in the world, but like there's so many people who are not on that list. Yeah. And you are, Tig, like it or not. Like if I had to call you for something that was like really wild. Yeah. Like investing in your company. Yeah. That- oh, that that was easy. <laughs> Easiest pie. Well, now, June, since this is an advice show. Okay. Is there a person out there who uh, you would like to give unsolicited advice to and it can be anyone Mm. it can be me it can be paul it can be somebody at your local market oh there's somebody i'm just thinking of and this is like so wrong but Mm. do you watch sister wives on tlc i don't watch anything okay there's a sister wife Mm -hmm. mary and she wears a shade of foundation on her face (laughs) that is way too dark for her skin tone. And it's like keeping me up at night. And I have been formulating in my head, like how to write this DM in a way where it's not shaming, but just like, just go a little lighter. Like just, it's just not the right color for you. So that's someone who's, I I am like, there's no way to say it. Okay. And I want to, I want to say something right now. I don't wear foundation. Okay. But I would say whoever's listening, if it's this Mary person or whoever, if June is telling you this, I would listen because... Thank you. And June, I think Stephanie and I have reached out and told you this. You are someone, and not that you're not an attractive person at home with your glasses on and parenting. Thank you. But my Lord... Does June clean it up? Thank you. When she is going out on the town, this woman knows how to put foundation on things and dresses on stuff. Is that how it's said? I, no, it's not. But okay, I, but I would listen to her. I really appreciate that. I do feel like that's an area where I really love it. I love makeup. I love clothes. I love all that stuff. And. Mm-hmm. 
you know, especially I think for some older women and they can get in the headspace of like, oh, this looked good 20 years ago mm-hmm. and nobody's ever told me it didn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just just a shade off. Okay. It's just a shade off. Now, would you say you or Paul give better advice? We're about to transition into listener questions. Just just teeing you up here. Okay. I think um I think we both do. That's a hard one. Mm-hmm. Paul's really thoughtful. He really is. He is such a gem. I know. He really is. I mean, I'm obsessed with him. I don't know what to tell you. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. And I'm happy to now transition into these uh, listener questions with you. Let's do it. You're a big fan of The Real Housewives, correct? Of course. Our first question comes from a listener who could very well be a future cast member of that show. Savannah in California writes... Hi, Tig. I'm a 21-year-old woman who is struggling between wanting to be a housewife but also wanting my own money and independence. I just want to be hot and put my taste to use. (laughs) Should I even bother trying to pursue a career? Whoa. Yeah. I'm going to say something about this term housewife. Okay. What does that mean exactly? Mm -hmm. Because I think the way she's positioning this question Mm -hmm. is interesting because I think she's framing it In a way where it sounds like to her, housework, keeping a home, potentially raising children, doing the work of domesticity Mm -hmm. has no value. And I think that that has historically been true, that Mm -hmm. we don't put any value toward caretaking, mothering, working inside the home. But that is work. Mm -hmm. It's unpaid labor for Mm -hmm. most of us, or it is paid and it's domestic work, which is still undervalued and still can be a very unsafe space for women to work in and we don't see as professional work. And I question that. So what I would encourage her to do is to take a step back and think through what she believes it means to do the work of a house or the work of keeping home, creating home, and what the world thinks of that. Because that's the truth is, we are not paid to do it. It is all unpaid unless you're a domestic laborer, housekeeper, a nanny, a home nurse aide, or working in the domestic realm. It's unpaid labor. But that doesn't mean it's not valuable. So I don't really know what housewife means to her. And she said something about using her design eye and creating a home but i really do believe that it's it's a it's a damn shame that we consider that work to not have any value to it mm-hmm. and i think it positions women who are working outside the home to feel badly about doing that and potentially leaving their kids to do it and then it also makes women who work inside the home well all mothers are are holding that work, but make them feel like their work isn't valuable. And that's sad to me. So I really like reject that whole conversation around like, oh, are you a housewife or do you work? It's like, mm, no, <laughs> being a housewife is work. It's mm-hmm. just, do we consider it valuable or not? And does the world. And Tig, I wonder if this book would be helpful for Savannah. I would give her the advice of picking up the book Forget Having It All, How America Messed Up Motherhood and How to Fix It by Amy Westervelt. Mm, Okay. 
And again, I don't know if that's what she means by housewife. Well, I think that, you know, this is a show called Don't Ask Tig. So more importantly, don't ask June. But that's the advice I think that we can give is like, read this book. Maybe this will lead Savannah to some answers or some bigger, deeper questions. She's absolutely right. There's a stigma around it. There's a stigma around saying like, oh, I don't want to pursue a professional career. Mm -hmm. But I really reject the idea that women shouldn't, if you don't pursue a professional paid career, that you are not valuable in this world. Mm -hmm. That's absurd to me. Okay, Savannah, I hope that helps. June, it's time for a break, but we'll be back shortly with more questions. we're back. June, you co-host the podcast, How Did This Get Made?, which is all about watching bad movies. That may help with this next question. Hillary writes, Hi, Tig. I'm a mom of three small children and feel less and less in touch with myself. With all of the challenges of adulthood and parenthood, how do I keep up with things like new music, books, or podcasts that will fulfill my interests without spending hours researching online or investing a lot of time on something I may ultimately hate? Oh. I I feel like I'm terrible at this because I really only watch documentaries and listen me too to me. that's all you watch i watch documentaries and, and like sister wives and housewives okay which it's basically a documentary as far as i'm concerned that's right how do you find your stuff i have to start by saying that you have three small children mm-hmm. like you will be out of touch mm-hmm. you've got some time till you return to the land of the living. And I think there's some freedom in just sort of accepting that you're walking in the underworld for a few more years. I mean, I don't know how you feel, Tig, but my youngest is six. And just now I'm like, oh, I'm a part of the world. Yes, that's how Stephanie and I felt. Kind of, I think when they hit five. Yeah, five. five we yeah. started to feel like, oh, we yeah. could maybe start um, going out to dinner with friends exactly. <laughs> and take walks. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's just so all-consuming. So all-consuming. It really is. So I guess my, my piece of advice is also just, like, knowing it will end and mm-hmm. to not to not let the world make you feel like you're not on the pulse of things or you're an outsider because you're consumed. Motherhood can feel really oppressive at times. And you're just like, oh, I'm not a part of the world. I remember literally sitting on my couch, looking through the the slats and the blinds and singing oh, no. to myself, singing out loud, mm-hmm. watching people walk by and singing, people are passing me by. Life is passing me by. <laughs> like, just like singing that, holding a baby. I wonder what I was doing in that actual moment that you were in your house singing that. Uh. <laughs> you were probably walking by. So it's like people are passing you by and life is passing you by. It's so insane what's going on in everyone's house. 
<laughs> I know. You never know. Max and Finn used to wake up at three in the morning, like for the day. That's And Stephanie and I would be, you know, we have these twins that are like, I'm up. And so we would get up at three in the morning and they'd want to chase each other around and us around the coffee table. And I started laughing one morning at how tiny they were and how with our light on at 3 a.m., it just looked like through the window, me and Stephanie were playing (laughs) chase around the coffee table. (laughs) I was like, do you realize nobody can see that there are children here? And we started laughing so hard because we were, I don't know how we came across to the 3 a.m.ers that were coming home after partying. It was a different scene to them, for sure. But yeah, you're you're probably going to be out of the mix for a beat. And that's okay. Like, this is a good example. So again, our youngest is six. And this weekend, we just, Paul and I flew to Seattle and we went to the Gorge to see Brandy Carlyle and Joni Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell's my favorite artist that's living. And mm-hmm. it was such an unbelievably beautiful event and life-changing. And I was like, oh, I couldn't have done this three mm-hmm. years ago. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I could have, but it would have just been so fraught. And I was yeah. really free to be there and have like a totally restorative experience there. But whatever feels good at the end of the day after you've those kids are in bed, be it housewives, be it like, don't force yourself to be a part of a cultural conversation if it feels like f-ing work. Just mm-hmm. you're, you're surviving. So survive mm-hmm. a couple more years. And unless it feels good to be up on stuff and the New York Times bestseller list and like all the stuff. I was on the New York Times bestseller Congratulations. List. I was Thank not. You. Oh. you know, I was not. And my book Sorry. was really an important book. Right. You know, not just for laughs. Mm-hmm. So you didn't read my book? No, I did. <laughs> and I know your book had a lot more in it than just laughs. I do know that. But I'm just saying my book could, you know, it's about changing the world. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. But it did not make the New York Times bestseller list. Mine did. Yeah. So I would just say buy my book. Oh. Yeah. But I think that's good advice, Tig. It's just like just you're in it and just I don't know where to get those things. I don't feel like I'm on the pulse of a cultural conversation. Like I don't mm-hmm. I haven't finished this season of Secession. Like I'm mm-hmm. behind. I'm always behind. Right. Right. I, I haven't seen Succession either. But I do feel like, you know, poking around a little bit online and just yeah. giving a a listen to something. I mean, I, I'm very plant-based obsessed and I love listening to vegan podcasts. I'm expecting this. Okay. There's something for everybody out there. Yeah, there there. really is a podcast for everyone. Truly, you would think, oh, there must be what? Five vegan podcasts? No. No. Oh my God. It's endless. And what are you learning? Recipes, just... Well, I'm very interested in nutrition and how food can help and hurt you. It's medicine. Yeah. And so that's really what I'm very interested in. I'm not much of a cook, but I can throw things together and get people fed. But I'm so interested in nutrition. So it feels like if you just kind of focus in on what you're 
main interest is and you you do a little tiny search, you can probably find something out there. I think that's right. Ask a friend or, you know, call June directly. I'm not offering my phone number on this podcast. Hillary, I also highly recommend watching everything that June and I have starred in together and separately. Yes. You can't go wrong. That's a great place to start. We're going to take a quick break to answer a question that came in our therapy etiquette inbox. This segment is where we answer those awkward questions we all have as people getting the professional help we need and deserve and is sponsored by BetterHelp. Today's question was sent in from Jessica. Jessica writes, Tig, I think it would be so helpful to go to therapy, but I hate the idea of my personal thoughts being noted by the therapist. I can't keep a journal for the same reason. How do so many other people not have a concern about their deepest thoughts and feelings being written down somewhere? Thank you. Jessica, it's completely understandable to have concerns about your personal thoughts and feelings being noted by a therapist. Therapy is meant to be a safe space where you can explore your emotions without judgment. Keep in mind that when you start therapy, you'll have an intake process where you can share your concerns and goals with your therapist. This is definitely something you can bring up before you even start your first session. Also, there's as many therapy styles as there are therapists out there. So if you're honest about your needs and, or concerns, it's going to give you the best chance of being matched with a professional that's right for you. Since you're telling me that you think therapy would be helpful for you, I would highly recommend following that feeling. It might also be helpful to talk through, you know, the the reasons your therapist may be taking notes because therapists document what happens in sessions to remember important details for the safety of the client and the therapist, and sometimes billing. If there's no record, it basically didn't happen in the eyes of many. And don't forget, therapy is a collaborative process. You you have the right to set boundaries and communicate what your preferences are. Also consider maybe exploring different approaches that gel with your comfort level, like mindfulness-based therapies or art therapy, which may rely less on written documentation. The most crucial thing is to find a therapist who makes you feel heard, respected, and supported on your journey. Best of luck to you, Jessica. And as always, thank you to our therapy etiquette sponsor, BetterHelp. If you have any questions about the unspoken rules of therapy etiquette, share them with us by calling 833-275-8444 or visiting don'tasktig.org slash contact. And now back to the show. All right, June, our last listener question was sent in by Rosemarie. Rosemarie writes, my husband has been working on entrepreneurial ventures 
for the past four years, which have at times made some money, but nothing has turned into the quote-unquote golden goose yet. He keeps thinking he's on the verge of something, but it doesn't seem to materialize. (sighs) We are relatively comfortable because I am a nurse and my job is very stable. He is a terrific father and cares for our two kids while I work. I like my job, so I don't resent our current setup, but we aren't able to move forward in other ways, like buying a house or traveling more. He gets down on himself sometimes because he's not, quote unquote, providing, Mm. and his dreams haven't been realized. Should I continue to be supportive or should I encourage him to get back into a more traditional job where he can earn a salary again? Uh, oh, God, that's really hard, Tig. It is. And I think my initial response, especially if if your job is stable and he is a good, supportive, involved father, I would let him still give it a go. That's my feeling, is I would still encourage his hopes and dreams. Maybe you guys could come up with a, a time of... Maybe at this point, if things haven't come through, but come to it together, because I would hate it if I was wanting to pursue dreams or if Stephanie was wanting something. And if she was a great mother, which she is, and a great spouse, which she is, but if things just hadn't quite happened, I would still really, I would be rooting for her to see it through, you know? I totally agree. I cannot imagine saying to my partner, like, it's time to give up. Mm -hmm. If she were to say, we're not able to take care of the children, you know, Mm -hmm. but that seems to be, and it also sounds like he might be doing some work in the house that they might have to pay for otherwise. So Mm -hmm. even though he might not be bringing in the money, maybe they're saving some there because he's picking it up. I think it's a really challenging thing for people to talk about. And I wonder... If she can't suggest, not that he give up his entrepreneurial pursuits, but if she can't suggest that he heads into either therapy or finds a coach of some sort to help him navigate, because it sounds like he's feeling badly about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that he'll have a better shot of being successful if he feels like although he might not be making money that she's fully invested in him that to me the sort of timelines the kind of parameters of how long he can pursue it for when he should find something more stable i think are better off coming from him through his own work with someone else mm-hmm. if possible if it's not possible for the family and she feels like no they're at financial risk then then that's another story. But if mm-hmm. if she is comfortable and has a stable job and feels like they're financially comfortable, then I don't think it should come from her. Yeah, it's tricky. But good luck to you and your family. June, one last thing before you go. This last segment is called Best Advice, Worst Advice. Oh, wow. What is the best advice you've ever been given, June? Oh, I know. So... I took a clown class at NYU. Father? Excuse me? There's a clown nose. I did wear a clown nose. I did wear a clown nose. Congrats. And it was a very difficult class. And we were, we had to do this exercise where we all had to sit in a circle 
None mm-hmm. of our clowns spoke. It was all just sort of physicality. This exercise was called the Ring of Fire. Mm-hmm. And we had to, without language, mm-hmm. make every single person in the class, including the teacher, belly laugh at the same time. God. And we couldn't leave the Ring of Fire until we had done that. It was terrifying. And there were students who were in there for like 45 minutes, an hour, just trying things and sweating. And, you know, a lot of times the rest of us would laugh to try to get them off stage. Mm -hmm. And the teacher wouldn't accept those laughs until she laughed too with us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I literally, before going into that class, would have to say to myself, like, June, you're not dying. Like, you're alive. Your family is healthy. Like things, this is not the worst thing that could be happening right now. That's how scared I was. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest moments in your life, performance wise, yes. Okay. I remember the teacher said to me about my clown, she was like, You are resisting failure and are so scared that it's going to happen. Like lean into, she kept, she used the phrase live in the drop which is, I guess, a very popular clowning phrase, which is most clowns mm. actually get their biggest laughs having, I mean, you you do this, Tig, on stage. I mean, this is for, I think for stand-up comedians, it's a very different thing. But like, for me, it was such a lesson in like, oh, I actually need to look forward to flopping, to dropping, to living in the drop, to working in a way where I'm not just like, trying to succeed, where I'm actually like, let's try so hard and be so brave that I'll probably fail. And that changed for me the way I started to work, which was like, oh, it's actually like the way I want to work. And I don't do this all the time at all. I've only actually experienced this like artistically a few times, but as opposed to like trying to do well, actually looking for moments where I can be fully humiliated, vulnerable, wrong, not right, so that I can find something that's real and true. And so that was the best piece of advice I've ever been given. And I think it translates across the board to all areas of life. Mm -hmm. It is what I do as a stand-up. For stand-ups, I think you you experience that all the time. But on a set, in Mm -hmm. especially you're doing scene over and over and over, it's a different muscle for me to like in front of a crew, in front of mostly men and technicians to really create a space that feels like that is mm-hmm. hard. And again, I haven't, I've, I've really only ever done it a few times, but I, at least I know like that's the way I want to work. And what's the worst advice you've ever received? Go to clown school? I think the worst <laughs> advice I ever received was someone told me before I had a baby that there was like no reason I shouldn't be able to breastfeed and and to just like work as hard as I could to do it because it's something every woman should be able to do. Mm. And that really like f***ed up my journey with my oldest son when he was born because it wasn't working. I was dealing with postpartum and I wish that I could get that time back because it's such dangerous advice, I think, to give a new mom. Wow. All right. Well, I'm glad that you uh, made it through that. Thanks, Tig. And clown school. Me too. And I don't want to see you every week, but maybe in a couple months you could stop by to a pickleball. 
Okay, but you understand. Like, you wouldn't want that Not from me. Not only do I understand, but I appreciate it. And I feel like the way you laughed at that, it felt like it really hit as something like, oh, right. That would be weird if we were just normal friends. I totally get it. Yeah. Listen, it's how children experience love is through boundaries, through like, oh, actually, no, this is a boundary around you. And I, so I appreciate mm-hmm. firm boundaries. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything you would like to share with uh, the listeners before we wrap this up? Yeah. If you head to janeclub.com, you can buy a day and just come see what it's about. So if you use code ASK, TIG at checkout, you can get 10% off your membership. And speaking of how did this get made, we're going on tour this summer. Hmm. If you go to hdtgm.com, you can find out where we're going to be. We're doing a wonderful East Coast tour. We'll be in Boston, New York City, uh, Philadelphia, DC. And We've done it every summer, the last few summers. It's been so much fun. And we are already almost sold out. But there are hopefully some tickets left. And we just added a second show in Boston. So if you go to hdtgm.com, find out information and purchase tickets. And again, if you head to janeclub.com and use code ASKTIG, all caps, at checkout, you can get 10% off any of our Jane workdays. Incredible. June, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me here on Don't Ask Tig. Thank you, Tig, for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. Goodbye. is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette and Shayna Deloria. Our executive producer and editor is Beth Perlman. Engineering and sound mixing by Alex Simpson, Derek Ramirez, Josh Savageo, and Evan Clark. Digital production by James Napoli. Talent booking by Marianne Ways. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Burkell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman. APM Studios executives in charge are Chandra Kavadi, Alex Schaffert, and Joanne Griffith. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voice memo. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky.
Hi, I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, <laughs> we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. <laughs>